Uh, If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, You can click over there, or if you want to use one of the Bibles in your chair rack, you'll be about page 859. We'll be in Luke chapter 4. We've been continuing through the gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in there this morning, and we'll get there in just a moment. A few years ago, Wendy and I, my wife Wendy and I, we made a move. We were living in the city of Lowell for most of our marriage uh, for about 13 years, and we wanted to kind of get closer to uh, Burlington and the church here and and where we were, and so we moved uh, to the town of Billerica, and we moved a lot closer to the church, and we moved out of what was in Lowell a pretty urban environment. Uh, and to Billerica, which, uh, you know, the part of Billerica, we're in a pretty rural, actually, aspect of it, even though it's a suburban town. And we liked a lot of that. Uh, one thing we had uh, on the property we moved into was a lot of trees. And we had a lot of trees, which, is, which are great. We enjoyed the privacy, but we also learned pretty quickly that having a lot of trees also required a lot of work at times. And so over the last several years, we've had to, for one reason or another, remove some of these trees and some pretty big ones. Uh, This one we had, uh, this one was just recently, actually a couple weeks ago, uh, one that was a little bit uh, diseased and close to the house and started dropping limbs and and I was getting a little nervous they were going to get dropped on the house. So we, so we started to take that one down. I think it's, I, and it's hard to tell from the ground, like 75, 80 feet, 80 feet tall, maybe that one was. And we had other ones that through the years we also had to take down. This next one that you'll see, here's a little bit of a video. This one I took because watching these guys do their work is pretty amazing. Uh, And it's interesting to see how they all go about it in different ways. Sometimes with cranes, sometimes with bucket trucks. This particular crew, they just climb them. They climb them and drop them. And I thought, well, that's pretty amazing. I'm going to watch this. And this guy... Uh, either he was really good or really lucky because he drops it and it comes very close to coming back and hitting him, but it did not. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> these guys know their, know their stuff and we've had to take down several of them. And here's, here's the thing though, when you're taking them down, you know, you realize these trees have been growing for who knows how long. Right? Some of these 70, 80, some of them I think were 100 feet tall. So it, as I look online how long it takes these trees to grow, I mean, some of them are probably growing for over 100 years. It's going through storms, going through uh, floods, hurricanes even over that time, snowstorms, right? All these different disasters and just keep growing and keep getting stronger and keep getting bigger. And yet in one afternoon... With one crew at my house, they are reduced to a few logs lying on the ground that are taken away. And all that's left are some stumps that are there. And it kind of makes you think when we think about life and we think about our lives, and especially this topic that we've been talking about the last few weeks of temptation, that you can spend your entire life building up something great. That you could spend your entire life building a life of character, a life of integrity, a life of strength. You can make it through storms. You can make it through difficulties. But if you give in to temptation at a certain moment and you give in, it can all be lost in a very short amount of time. 
That's something that was strong and powerful, something that was big, something that, you know, someone looked at it and thought, wow, what a life that is. And yet it can be lost in a moment. And suddenly everybody looks at it differently. And that's one of the things we're talking about when it comes to temptation, that we're talking about this aspect that we need to be careful. We need to be careful as Christians, as men and women of God, that all the work you put into building up your life, that you don't lose it in a moment, that you don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate, that everything that you've built up suddenly gets lost. And so we've looked at these three temptations of Jesus and how he faced them and overcame them with the word of God and how, how we often face temptations and how we can overcome them as well with the word of God. The first week we looked at the temptation that Jesus faced to turn stones into bread. And he was hungry, he had fasted 40 days. And the enemy comes, devil comes to him and says, just turn these stones into bread. And what we learned that week was that Jesus was not willing to trade who he was just simply for what he could get in that moment. Because his father had not commanded him to do that. He would have traded who he was for what he could get, and we have to be careful that we don't trade who we are just simply for what we can get in a moment. The second week, last week, we looked at this temptation the enemy brought to him to worship him and in exchange for the kingdoms of the world. And we learned last week that when you change your guide, you'll end up at a different destination. If you start following and worshiping, if you start following a different guide, you end up at a different destination. And you need to follow the right guide if you're going to end up at the right destination. This week we're looking at the third temptation that Jesus faced. And it's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. And this is the third temptation the enemy comes to Jesus with. And we're going to look at this this morning together and see what it teaches us as well. Luke chapter 4, verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This third temptation of Jesus that the enemy comes to him with is this. Throw yourself down from the temple. God will save you. The enemy realizes, the devil realizes, Jesus bested him with Scripture three times. Three times Jesus bested him with Scripture. The first time he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. The second time he says, you're to worship the Lord your God only and him only you serve. So Satan on this third temptation, he says, okay, I can bring, I can use God's word. And he comes to him with words that actually come from Psalm 91. And it says, it says that if you fall, God will catch you. That the one God loves, God will catch you. God will lift you. God won't allow your heel to strike the ground. So why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple some 450 feet high and trust that God will catch you. And Jesus says, that wouldn't be trust, that would be a test. 
that to throw myself off this temple and force God to catch me wouldn't be trusting God. It would be testing God. So here's the thing I want us to consider this morning. What's the difference between trust and test? Because I think it is difficult to spot the difference between a leap of trust and a leap of test. When you think about some of the great people in Scripture, you think, well, they took a leap of trust, right? You think of, you think of Noah building an ark. Like, that was a huge trust moment, right? It hadn't rained before, and Noah starts building an ark because God had told him to. Huge leap of trust. You think of Abraham leaving his homeland to go to a place he didn't know. Huge leap of trust. You think of Moses taking the people of God out of Egypt and backing them up against the Red Sea. Huge leap of trust. But I think it can be difficult to know the difference sometimes between a leap of trust and a leap of of test. And it's important for us to know the difference because Jesus knew the difference. And sometimes I think we can be tempted to think we're trusting God, but we may actually be testing God. What's the difference? You remember those highlights magazines? Any of you ever look, you read those, those, those kids' highlights magazine, right? When you're in the doctor's office or the dentist's office, right? They got those highlights. I don't know what you look at, but I often look to those pictures that say, what's the difference? You know, and you got the two pictures side by side. And when you look at them, initially, it looks like they're the same picture, right? You can't see much of a difference. You just look at them in the same picture. And I always hope that no little kid before me has went and circled all the differences, right? So I start looking and you look closer and you start to realize, oh, when you look closer, there are some differences. You know, that cup's turned over in this one and not that one. This number's different in that one and not this one. You know, there's a little bit more liquid in that than this. And you start noticing the differences. And when you look closer, when it comes to trust and test, it can look the same sometimes from a distance. But when you look closer, there is a difference between trusting God and testing God. But they can look the same from a distance. One, maybe two pastors come to the Boston area, come to New England. We've seen this. Two pastors come to the Boston area. They both come to plant churches. And they come from other parts of the country. And they are convinced, beyond convinced, because I've had conversations with them, that they are coming and they are going to plant a church and build a church. And it's going to grow to hundreds and thousands of people. And they're going to have this successful church. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes they come because they're taking a leap of trust in God. And sometimes they come because they're taking a leap testing God. And how do you know the difference? Or two Christians step out to start a business, different, different Christians, they step out to start a business and they go all in and they leave their job and they, and they go in to start a business and one's taking a leap of trust and one's taking a leap of test, but how do you know the difference? Can you know the difference? Or two different students that leave college and they just set out with no job and no place to live, but they are, they are determined that they are supposed to just go and leave and drive someplace. And one is taking a leap of trust and one is taking a leap of test. And how do you know the difference? How can you tell the difference? Because one 
we are called to do, which is trust God, sometimes take a step of faith. One we are forbidden to do, which is to test God. And yet, sometimes they can look the same. Two people get medical diagnoses, and they handle it in very different ways. One takes care, one doesn't, or they both refuse care, and one's taking a leap of test, and one is taking a leap of trust. And how do you know the difference? How do you know when you're trusting God or when you're testing God? I think there is a way that we can know the difference. To know what a test looks like and what Jesus is talking about, that God don't test God. Let's look at his response to the enemy in this passage. He says this, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The rest of that verse is this, as you tested him at Massa. So the command that God gives is don't put the Lord your God to the test. He's given this command back in Deuteronomy, back to his people, back to the people of God. He's saying, one of the things you can't do is to test God. And he says, like you tested him at Massa. Well, if you're like me, you probably, even if you've read it, you think, what did happen at Massa? I can't remember it. Or maybe you've never read it before. What did happen at Massa? What was that when the people tested God? Well, you have to go back to Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 to understand what that situation was, what it looked like when they tested God. And here's the story of Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The people of God had been taken out of Egypt. Moses is leading them, and he's leading them through the desert to the land that God's going to take them through. And it says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin. That's a location, not a theological statement. They moved from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? That statement at the end of that verse strikes me, right? They tested him by saying, is the Lord among us or not? What does that mean? 
I think what they're essentially saying is this. Look, if God is with us, we know how he should be acting. If God is with us, then he should be taking care of us. If God is with us, then we shouldn't be thirsty. So is God among us or not? In other words, we call the shots. We're in control. We know what's right. We know what's good. And God's not doing it, so God must not be here. So God must not be with us. If God is God, then he would be doing this. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. God will save you. I think I wonder if sometimes we're like this too. We put the if in front of it and it makes all the difference. There's a big difference between you are God and if you are God. Is the Lord among us or not? If you are God, then you have to do what I want you to do right now. The difference between testing and trusting. The difference between testing and trusting who's in control. When I'm testing, I'm in control and I call the shots. When I'm trusting, God's in control and he calls the shots. The difference between testing and trusting is saying, God, you are God, where testing says, if you are God, do this, do what I want. But I think ultimately the difference between testing and trusting, if you want to know if you are trusting or testing, ask this, whose idea is it to leap? Whose idea is it to take the leap? If you want to know if you're taking a leap of trust or if you're taking a leap of test, then ask yourself, whose idea is it to leap? Is this my idea and I'm expecting God to follow me or is this really God's idea and God's expecting me to follow him? The difference between a leap of trust and a leap of test is whose idea is it to leap? Because I think a lot of us will sometimes live our lives and say, I'm going to do this and God has to save me or God has to do this. What we do is we presume upon the grace of God or we presume upon God's actions. Where God has called us to live a life to watch what he is doing and follow it in faith and in trust. If you're going to take a leap you better make sure God is leading you in that leap. How do you know if you're taking a leap of trust or a leap of test? I think that can be a challenge. I, maybe there's four things that I sometimes look at when I'm looking at, am I, is God in this? Is this God's will? Is God directing this? Is God leading this? Four things that for me I take into account. One, a leap of trust. One thing is scripture. What does God's word say about it? What has God revealed to me? What has God said? Does God's word say anything about it? There are some things that are so specific in your life that you may say, well, there's not a specific thing in God's word about this, but is there a general principle in God's word that applies to what you're considering at this point? God was never going to direct you and never going to cause you to take a leap against his word, against his revealed word. Second thing I take into account of what are other believers, what are other mature men and women of Christ say about this in my life? 
Do you have a council of Christians, people that you trust, people that you love, love you, and also love Jesus that you can go to and say, I think God is calling me to this. Would you pray with me about it? Would you tell me what you think about it? Would you give me guidance? Would you sit and just listen to the Holy Spirit with me? I've got people like that in my life. I hope you've got people like that in your life. It's important to have those people that you can just sit and say, I think this is what the Lord is telling me. Would you sit and listen with me? I remember one church planter that came to us who left Vermont and they came down because he said, God, has, we're going to plant a church in Boston. We're going to come and plant a church in New England and it's going to grow and we're going to, you know, and how do you tell? It's a leap of trust or a leap of test. By the time they came to us, they were coming to us because he said, we, my family is, we're living in our car. We've got nothing left. We haven't eaten. We just need someone to help us find some food and find a meal. And as we got more into his story, he said, they told me not to come. He said, there were Christians and elders and leaders in my church that said, we don't think God is calling you to this. He said, but I didn't listen to them and I should have. And that happens again and again. But God has put Christians in your life. God has given you men and women around you to help you weigh the words because I think it's hard to sometimes discern, is this me, is this the enemy, or is this God? In Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas are considering going out for ministry and for missions, it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, the body of Christ. When the church in Acts is trying to weigh out what's the, what should we do with these Gentiles? What should we do with these non-Jews? James said they called the council of the believers and said, let us consider together what we should do. You don't have to be Moses going up on the mountain, always coming down, and thus saith the Lord. You gather around you. Young people who, who, who at times, you don't realize that the gift you have, if you've got Christian parents who love the Lord and follow the Lord, to be able to ask them, I think God is calling me to this. Would you pray with me about this? Because you love me and I love you and we love Jesus. And let's see if this is the Lord's voice in this. Other believers. Third thing I consider is, is there actually an opportunity for this? Is there actually an open door that God has provided for you for this? Or are you forcing something? Is there actually a need and an opportunity for this leap that God is calling you to? We can go more into that, but I want to move on to the fourth thing is gifting. Do you actually have gifting and ability to do this thing? Because if you don't have any gifting, you know, any ability it doesn't mean you're not called to take that leap, but you seriously have to consider whether this is you or God. Those are four things that I often look at and I say, is this the will of God for me? And I weigh them. And I, I think I, you know, maybe not necessarily always in that order, but those are important. If I, you find the center of those four things, where scripture, other believers, opportunity, and gifting, you'll find the spirits leading, I think, often in that place. Take great leaps of trust in your life and you will see God do amazing things, but just make sure it's God's idea to leap. Listen 
before you leap. You and I need to be careful that we're not giving in to places of temptation and leaping without listening to God. Last year, um, one of the great uh, apologists, one of the great philosophers of the last maybe 50, 30, 40 years of Christianity died. His name was Ravi Zacharias. And uh, he was one, he was a person who had this amazing testimony of going from uh, Hinduism to trusting in Christ and believing in Christ. He started out his ministry by ministering in Vietnam to U.S. troops that were there. He spoke at Harvard regularly at uh, different talks, the Veritas lectures and others debated atheists and others. He was one that I often looked to as someone as a, to give wisdom on different religions and uh, how to, what they mean. And so I was shocked, as some of you were to hear of some of the allegations that started to come out a year or two ago about him and after his death. And I, I denied that, or I, I, defended, I didn't want to believe them, and neither did a lot of other people. But uh, earlier this year, late last year, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, said that we've got to get to the bottom of this, we've got to know the truth. So they commissioned an independent law firm to investigate. And a couple weeks ago, some of you know, and I know some of you, a lot of you know, because some people have have come and talked to me and how disturbing it was that this 12-page report was actually unredacted and released to the public. And the allegations were not only allegations, but the things that were found out and the conclusions were reached were extremely disturbing. Not only were there sexual affairs, but it was the manipulation the womanizing, the uh, using even scripture, twisting it in such a way to manipulate people into situations that were anything but God-honoring or God-glorifying. And you say, why do you bring that up in this situation? Why do you bring that up here? For a couple of reasons. One is because we need to be honest about we, want to, we need to be honest about what happens sometimes to great people of Scripture, great people of, of, of our time who we've lifted up. And the Bible, when I look at it, doesn't hide people's sins and flaws. If you think the Bible is full of perfect people who have never failed or, or, or never fall short, then, then it's usually because you haven't read much of the Bible. But I also bring it up because we need to, and a message about temptation, how do you not look at something like that? And you look at a life that was built up into a great influence and yet lost and knocked down through giving in to temptation. And you say, what happened? At some point, I think at the beginning of his ministry, as you look at Ravi's life, God was leading and Ravi was following. And and it was an incredible ministry that was started. At some point along the way, and I don't know when it was, and you don't know when it was, and at some point Ravi began to lead and expected God to follow. At some point he went from trusting to testing 
that I can do this and still continue to do these things for God. That I'm bigger than this. I don't know what the thinking was. But I know if it can happen to Ravi that the enemy will come to you and to me with those same temptations. Tempting you to lead instead of follow. Tempting you to follow the desires of your flesh. And as long as nobody sees or nobody finds out that somehow you're okay. There's a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 that says, Watch your life and doctrine so that you may preserve those that you're preaching to and your own life and faith. Somewhere along the line, Ravi kept watching his doctrine but stopped watching his life. We pray for those who have been impacted by his actions. We mourn the grief that it causes to the kingdom and to the name of Christ. But we ought also be careful and say, Lord, your grace and your strength, because Jesus succeeded in this temptation, but you and I often fail. And grace catches us, but we cannot presume upon God's grace. That's the difference. We cannot presume to be careful that we are not presuming upon God's grace. We are thankful for God's grace. We are grateful for God's grace. But we do not presume upon God's grace. I've had several conversations through the years where I've sat across a table from someone and said that. They said, well, I think God will forgive me for this. Said you're presuming upon the grace of God. You know what God has called you to do in this situation. And when you intentionally do something different, presuming and assuming that he's just going to forgive you, you are walking outside of God's plan and God's direction. You're beginning to harden your heart towards the Lord. And so let us be careful of this temptation. Take great leaps of trust in your life. Because God has called you to a life of faith. God will do amazing things. But make sure it's God's idea to lead. Make sure you listen before you lead. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today. God, and I recognize, Lord, that uh, Father, even talking about something like this situation with Ravi, Lord, and bringing it up, Lord, in this context. Father, first of all, our hearts ought to mourn and be grieved. And Lord, we pray for those who have been impacted by Ravi's actions, Lord. Lord, those directly impacted, and Lord, those who are impacted because your kingdom and your message and your word, Lord, have been treated flippantly. And Lord, because the hypocrisy will cause some to not believe. Lord, we pray for them. We ask that you will, uh, Lord, continue to show yourself to them. We ask that you bring healing to the lives of victims in the situation. 
But Lord, we also take it as a warning as we do with men and women in scripture who we see their failings and they're missing the mark. We take it as a warning in our life. Lord, we need to lean upon your spirit because we are tempted at times to go our own way, to indulge the flesh, to test your grace and your saving of us. Lord, we don't want to be people who test you, but we do want to be people who trust you. So Lord, help us to know the difference when we are taking a leap of test or a leap of trust in you, Lord. We don't want to shrink back from walking in faith, but Lord, we also don't want to get ahead of you and demand that you follow us. Lord, would you help us to know the difference by your spirit? Would you help us to know what it is to walk in faith? Lord, lead us as your people. Lead us as your church. You've done it in the past. Show us how we're to walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as the team leads us in this final song of worship?